Hey Future Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. And I'm Andy. And we are the hosts of Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Each week, we'll dive into some of the most unnerving crimes that this unnatural world has to offer. Listen for Unnatural on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. I'm Dee Dee West, and this is Broken Limelight, where I tell you true crime stories about celebrities. A couple of quick announcements before we get started. First of all, um, we recently got named one of the top 80 true crime podcasts on the web for 2022. We're really excited about that. So thanks to all of you guys who shared the podcast and told your friends about it and gave us reviews, because all of that really helped us get here. Which, speaking of which, if you haven't, it would really help us out if you would. Plus, who doesn't like to find out stuff about their favorite celebrities? I mean... Like, yeah, I love true crime. I think most of us enjoy this because we really like the psychology of it. But I feel like as a society, we kind of tend to have a blind spot towards certain individuals and like me included. And I feel like maybe we need to take a step back and look at ourselves as well. And I mean, this is everybody. So, so yeah, let's talk about that. What's wrong with us? How do we fix it? Let's do this. Tell people about Broken Limelight. Thank you. So one thing I wanted to say real quick before we get started. Um, since we're all true crimers here, there is a show on Hulu that's called Dead Asleep. Well, I think we shouldn't be watching that show. Um, I don't know a lot, but here's what I gathered. There is a TikToker, and apparently she is the sister of Brooke, who is one of the people involved in this this show. But apparently Brooke's family says that Hulu didn't have their permission to release this information, and it it, it just doesn't tell Brooke's whole truth. So they're trying to get everybody to take it down and, like, boycott it, for lack of a better word. She did mention, though, that if we're interested in the case and, like, the full story of it, that we can look up um, Kendall Ray's coverage of the story on YouTube. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Tanya Harding, who was an American figure skater who participated in a plot to attack another figure skater named Nancy Kerrigan, who she was competing against. Allegedly. She allegedly participated. This is what we're going to get into. An assailant had been hired to break Nancy's knee before the competition, forcing her to sit out while Tanya continued competing. But it didn't take long before all eyes were on Tanya and her husband, Jeff Galuli. So I want to say up front that a lot of this story that I'm going to tell you come from interviews from all the people involved in a few different books and documentaries. But it's important that you know that this is all a big ol' he said, she said. So when I say according to so-and-so, I'm not saying that that is truthful and I'm not saying that it's untruthful. Basically, I'm just saying this is how the he said, she said went. I mean, you'll find pretty quickly that not everybody's super reliable here. In short, here's the facts, flat out, do what you will with it. Tanya Harding was born in Portland, Oregon. Her mother was Lavana Golden and her father was Al Harding. Tanya was Lavana's fifth child from her fourth husband. She grew up pretty poor. She said she moved 13 times in five years. Tanya began skating at the age of three, training with coach Diane Rollinson. Lavana worked multiple jobs to support them and to be able to afford the skating lessons. And she says that at just three years old, Tanya was able to mimic the moves of people, of other people, and just picked up skating naturally. During her childhood, Tanya also hunted, drag raced, and learned auto mechanics from her father. Lavana struggled to support the family while working as a waitress, and she would hand sew her daughter's skating costumes to save money. Tanya's parents divorced after 19 years of marriage in 1987 when she was just 16 years old. 
Tanya describes her mother as not a good one. According to her, she was both mentally and physically abused by her mother, beginning at age six or seven. She said, she became very abusive and was drinking all day long, beating me, dragging me off the rink, hitting me with the hairbrush right in front of everyone. Tanya was often disciplined during practice for like not landing her jumps perfectly or just not being perfectly poised or just anything that was wrong with her performance. Tanya said, there were so many times when my mother would be upset with me because I didn't skate good and drag me off the ice by my hair, take me to the bathroom and beat my butt until it was black and blue. Tanya also says that Lovato would drink constantly and put brandy in her coffee like first thing in the morning, even before getting behind the wheel of a car. Lovato has a whole other side of the story. She stresses that she tried to do the best she could as a mother and worked three jobs to pay for Tanya's training. She admitted to hitting her once at a competition while she was trying to do Tanya's hair and Tanya wouldn't sit still as they were calling for her on the ice. Now, I will say that there was a witness to the time that Lovana hit her with a brush. So I, me personally, I think that maybe Lovana, that's the only reason she's admitting to it that one time is because there was a witness. But Lovana's just like, I smacked her just once with it. It wasn't even that hard. While Tanya's like, no, she beat me black and blue. Another thing I found interesting when you watch interviews with Lavana, whenever she's asked about whether or not she abused or hit Tanya, she like shakes her head and immediately says, I worked day and night to get her everything she ever wanted, as if that means that she didn't also hit her. When Tanya was 15, she made a documentary as like a thesis project for school, and it documented her first national competitions before anybody knew who she was. In this documentary, her longtime coach, Diane Rawlinson, explained Tanya's situation, saying, skating for Tanya is her ticket out of the gutter. She lives in a terrible rental house, no supervision at all, she has no direction, and there's not much to do. Then there was the documentary 30 for 30, The Price of Gold, where the sports reporter Ann Schatz explained, Tanya skated a lot of times without food in her stomach. She skated not really knowing if that next lesson was going to come or not because she didn't know if she could pay for it. Oh, real quick before I forget, there's uh, another podcast, another true crime podcast called True Crime Obsessed. And it's so fucking good. It's one of my favorites. But they also cover Tanya Harding, um, her story based on the documentary 30 for 30, The Price of Gold. And I highly recommend it if you want to like continue your journey into Tanya Harding after this. So back to the documentary that Tanya made for school. It was called Sharp Edges. There's a scene in it where you kind of get a glimpse of how Lavana talks to Tanya and how in turn that makes Tanya talk to herself that way. Like she doesn't think very much of herself at all and nothing is ever good enough for anybody, including herself. So here's a clip from the documentary. Again, Tanya's 15 and she's on the phone with her mom, but you only hear Tanya's side of it. Yes, it does. I got half credit for it, mom. What a bitch. She goes, you did terrible, you know that. Said you sucked. Lavana believed that her daughter needed negative reinforcement to succeed in her sport. She said, if there's nobody saying you can't do it, then she won't do it. Adding that her daughter would be nothing without a challenge. Tanya's friend, Sandra, who helped her film the documentary, says that she actually saw Lavana hitting her with the hairbrush, and it was really upsetting, but she never saw anything more than that. However, she claimed that she wanted to go to Child Protective Services, but she was told that if she did, it would ruin Tanya's skating career. Tanya also claims that Lavana once threw a steak knife at her from 10 feet away and hit her in the arm. Lavana denies that that ever happened, but Tanya says there was just nothing that was ever good enough for her. She said it would never amount to anything, that it was fat, and that I was ugly. So Lavana ended up getting married again, and that left Tanya with a 26-year-old stepbrother named Chris who would move in with them. One day when Tanya was getting ready for her first date, again at age 15, her stepbrother Chris forced himself on her. She burned him with a curling iron and she ran to hide in a bathroom upstairs, and then he broke the door down. So he continued to chase after her, but she was able to hit him over the head with the hockey stick, and she like, I think she ran to a neighbor's house or something and called the police. 
So Chris ended up being arrested and put in jail, but Lavana downplayed the whole incident as a figment of Tanya's vivid imagination. Chris actually died in 1988 in an unsolved hit-and-run accident. Tanya went on her first date with Jeff Galuli. Galuli. Do you guys know that Family Guy reference with the, the vagina monologues? He's trying to do stand-up, and he's like, Galuli. Okay, maybe that one wasn't so fresh, but you know. <laughs> anyway, Tanya and Jeff went on their first date, and Lavana actually tagged along. Tanya and Jeff had met at the skating rink when he was watching her practice. For some reason, I don't really understand what he was doing there to begin with, because he, was, he wasn't a skater. But Tanya was 15 and he was 17. She was very self-conscious and insecure, and she wasn't considered the prettiest and just wasn't very girly to begin with. And I also imagine that it was hard not to be able to afford the best costumes when, like, that's a big part of the sport. So Jeff was the first guy to tell her that she was pretty, and she fell for him. Sadly, he would eventually start to abuse her. He treated her like absolute garbage. He would tell her that she was fat and ugly and good for nothing. Basically the same things that her mother would tell her. And Harding actually said that because of her experiences with her mother, she kind of became conditioned to believe that somebody could hit her and love her simultaneously. Tanya says that the first time she recalls Jeff hitting her was when she was eating some 7-Eleven nachos and he told her that they would make her fat. And then he smacked them out of her hand and hit her across the face. Tanya said, I mean, I've known that I'm stupid, bitch, ugly, fat, never amount to anything for my whole life. Why do people not think that I would want to fight that or be better than that? In the biography, the Tanya tapes, Tanya claims that Jeff slammed her hand in a car door one time when she was trying to flee their home during a fight. He also allegedly accident accidentally fired a gun at her during an argument in a parking lot, causing a piece of concrete to hit Tanya in the face. But when Tanya started winning her competitions and the idea of money started to surface, Jeff not unlike Lavana, would become just like Tanya's manager and start, like, busting his ass to promote her. Tanya said, Jeff always put food on the table and a roof over my head. He paid for my skating for a couple of years. If it hadn't been for him during that time, I wouldn't have been skating. Tanya would move in with Jeff in 1988, and they got married in 1990. By 93, they would separate, and she would file a restraining order against him. They would end up getting divorced, and then they would get back together. Tanya was an extremely talented skater. She began to place at significant competitions at a young age. In 1986, she placed sixth at the United States Figure Skating Championships. In 87 and 88, she placed fifth, and she won Skate America in 1989. In 1991, Tanya Harding landed her first triple axel at the United States Championships. This was a really big deal. For one, there had only been one other person in the world that had ever done this. And it wasn't just pulling it off at, at the practices, it was pulling it off at the championship, like at the competition. Now, I personally don't know much about figure skating, but when you learn about the triple axel, it's hard. I mean, it, it's basically, it's a lot of time spent up in the air, and that just gives more opportunity for mistakes. And then she, you kind of have to land backwards on your back foot. Anyway, it was really fucking hard to just land it perfectly, and Tanya did it. She was the first American to do it and the second person in the world. So she won the 1991 U.S. Singles Ladies... <laughs> single Ladies... <laughs> Oh, the single ladies. <laughs> she won the 1991 U.S. Ladies Singles title with the event's first 6.0 technical merit score since Janet Lynn's 1973 performance at the U.S. Championships. She would land the triple axel again in March of 91 in the World Championships, but she would finish second behind Christy Yamaguchi and in front of Nancy Kerrigan. And this marked the first time that one country swept the ladies' medal podium at the World Figure Skating Championships. 1991 was a pretty good year for Tanya, but after that, things kind of went downhill. 
She twisted her ankle while practicing for the 92 U.S. Championship, and then her subsequent performances were just not that great. Also, judges at the time were giving her poor scores because they straight up didn't like her appearance and her personality. But they were, like, the way they explained it is that the sport has a lot to do with your appearance. It's poise, and, you know, it's the way you dress, and things like that. And Tanya, well, like, for one, her costumes weren't the best, but she also was, like, instead of being, like, a little ballerina on skates she was like athletic and i guess they didn't like that plus her personality was kind of gnarly too she would like cuss a lot and she would talk back and also the music she chose was shit like zz top and like 80s metal (laughs) she was just different she was like trying to be her own thing and people didn't like it people wanted her to be a figure skater like what they expect a figure skater to look like and this just made her rebel even more Again, she grew up a tomboy going hunting and going fishing with her dad and chopping up firewood. There's, um, I don't think I mentioned this yet. There's a movie called I, Tanya, and it's like a, it's like a fictional retelling of the story. And it stars Margot Robbie as Tanya Harding and, um, what is her name? Allison Janney as Lavana. And my God, she is spot on. And even Tanya Harding is like, she's perfect. It was like watching my mom on screen. My God, it's so good. But there's a, there's a moment where somebody tells Lavana, like, she doesn't look like a figure skater. She looks like she's going chopping wood in the mornings. And Lavana's like, she is chopping wood in the mornings. So now we're in like 1992, 93. And this is kind of where Tanya starts separating from Jeff and they get a restraining order and they go back and forth between living together and then like not being allowed within 50 feet of each other. Tanya got kind of lazy and didn't practice as much. And like, when I say that, this is kind of what I'm hearing in a lot of these documentaries. It sounds like she started making a lot of excuses and she also started smoking a lot and that didn't help combined with her already existing asthma. And in the 1992 Olympics, that's when she didn't land the triple axel, and she blames it on her skate, which it's like now a common thing. It's like, oh, well, my dog ate my, my homework. There's My skate is on wrong, my lace, and this and that. So she ended up coming in and forth right behind Nancy Kerrigan. Now, Nancy Kerrigan was another figure skating who worked just as hard as Tanya. She started skating at just as young of an age, but Nancy kind of, well, she had everything that Tanya didn't. She had the talent and she had the work ethic, but she also had the looks and the appearance that the judges wanted to see. And she also grew up with money and opportunity and a very loving and supporting family. In 1994, Jeff wanted to ensure Tanya's success in the United States Figure Skating Championships and also the forthcoming Winter Olympics. So he and his buddy, Sean Eckhart, came up with this brilliant plan to have somebody attack Nancy Kerrigan so that she wouldn't be able to skate in the Figure Skating Championship. So Sean Eckhart, he brought two other guys into the plan named Derek Smith and Shane Stan. And just so you know, these three guys, Der- Derek Smith and Shane Stan and also Sean Eckhart, they're three fucking buffoons. I mean, they're like the three stooges. Smith and Stan left the most ridiculous paper trail on the planet and they just left all the clues pointing directly to them. On January 6, 1994, just one day before the First Lady single competition, Nancy Kerrigan was attacked in a corridor after a practice session by Shane Stamp. Nancy Kerrigan had just finished a practice session and Stamp was waiting in the wings. Just second ladies, he... What? I don't know why I keep saying the word ladies. I I feel like Ross when he keeps saying Rachel instead of Emily. Except I just keep wanting to say single ladies. Kerrigan had just finished a practice session and Stamp was waiting in the wings. Just seconds later, he struck. He swung a 21-inch telescopic baton at her right leg, striking her just above the knee, and then just kept walking. She collapsed and just started wailing. I mean, 
This was called the whack heard around the world. Shane just like walked off like nothing. And Nancy's left there crying and crying and crying, just going, why, why? So there was this panic in the arena and a frantic search for the suspect. Shane tried to run, but he came across a locked door. And it was one of those, like, glass push push doors. So his brilliant mind bashed the glass with his head, even though he's holding a fucking baton in his hand. And then he just bailed. Now, while this is all happening, Tanya Harding says that she was taking a nap. In fact, she was just waking up from her nap when she got a phone call letting her know of the news. She claims that she was shocked. In fact, she said that it made her nervous because according to her, I mean, nobody was caught. So how could she be sure that she wasn't going to be next? So Nancy ended up not being able to compete. She didn't, I believe she didn't break any bones. She just had like really, really bad bruising because um, she was not able to compete in this, but she was able to compete in the Olympics. Spoiler alert, both Nancy and Tanya end up going to the Olympics, but we'll get to that. So Tanya went on to win the national national championship and then she went home to Portland as a champion and her whole town celebrated her. A news crew reached her for comment about how she felt about being a champion, and she made this comment like, thanks, but I don't have the crown yet, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kick Nancy's butt. So everyone was like, why the fuck would you say that? But she's like, calm down. I was just talking about skating. So it ended up being decided that both Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan would be invited to compete in the Olympics. In the weeks between the attack and the Olympics, the police started questioning everybody about the attack. In the Tanya tapes, Tanya says that her mother, Lavana showed up at an ice rink where Tanya was practicing shortly before the Olympics, and she tried to record her with a microphone that she had hidden in her, co- in her coat. Tanya said, the press gave her a mic and turned it on and walked down into the rink to try and get me to say stuff. Tanya says she saw the device and told her mother, you can leave this rink and never come back. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. I've put up with this for too long. Sean Eckhart, his dumbass had gone around bragging to everybody about how he arranged this whole coup that he masterminded like he thought he was such a badass. So the police were led to Sean, and when they questioned him, he folded fast. He threw everybody under the bus. Oh, and he also told everybody that he was Tanya's bodyguard, which is, like, debatable. It's, (laughs) like, I'm confused by this because I saw an interview where she was like, bodyguard, are you kidding me? He's dumb as a post. But I saw another report that said that she introduced him as her bodyguard, so... So Sean led the police to Jeff, and of course that raised a lot of questions about Tanya. And everybody was just like pointing fingers at each other. Tanya continued insisting that she didn't know anything, anything at all about the attack. In interviews, she has said that she wasn't even suspicious of Jeff or anything like that until like the next five days or so. She says that he started acting suspicious and then randomly something popped into her head. She remembered that like a month or two earlier, she had overheard Jeff and Sean talking about, quote, taking somebody out to make sure that Tanya gets on the Olympic team. But supposedly she didn't hear anything specific and she didn't think they meant anything like take out meant like anything violent. She apparently went up to them and she was like, what do you mean? I can skate. Like she was just like, the fuck are you talking about? But then I I guess when he started acting suspicious and the days after the attack, she started questioning him like, okay, what do you know? Or like, what are you not saying? The media was all over Tanya. There were reporters showing up at the rink where she was practicing, just trying to question her all the time. Once Sean was questioned and he named Jeff, Jeff pled to an assault charge and the agreement required him to testify for the state against Tanya Harding. Tanya says that it was then that she realized that the two of them were involved in Nancy's attack, but she didn't know to what extent. 
So Tanya went in for a voluntary interview. She was interviewed for 10 hours, and her story was inconsistent. She, at first, continued insisting that she didn't know shit until they told her, listen, we know you're lying, and we can tell you how we know that you're lying. So then she's like, okay, listen, it's not easy for me to tell on somebody that I love. But Jeff did it. And then she gave a press conference saying this. I would like to begin by saying how sorry I am about what happened to Nancy Kerrigan. I am embarrassed and ashamed to think that anyone close to me could be involved. I had no prior knowledge of the planned assault on Nancy Kerrigan. I am responsible, however, for failing to report things I learned about the assault when I returned home from nationals. Many of you will be unable to forgive me for that. It will be difficult to forgive myself. When I returned home Monday, January 10th, 1994, I was exhausted but still focused on the national championships. Within the next few days, I learned that some persons that were close to me may have been involved in the assault. The United States Figure Skating Association now had to decide if she should be allowed to skate in the Olympics while the case was being investigated. But Tanya felt that she had earned every right to be there, so she ended up suing them. So now we get to the 1994 Olympics. There was a lot of media there that had never been there to, to cover a figure skating event before, and it was all because people just wanted to see the beef between Nancy and Tanya. They wanted to see them skate against each other. And it was packed. There were like 700-plus photographers on them. Nancy... <laughs> Nancy decided to wear the same exact outfit that she was wearing when she was attacked. This was like a power move. I mean, this was so much drama. And Nancy and Tanya were just like completely ignoring each other. Like there's so many pictures out there that like I'll upload to the website of them just like skating past each other and right next to each other. And like, it's so clear that they're avoiding eye contact. And Tanya kept downplaying the Nancy situation. Like it, it's so awkward. It, Maybe she was nervous, but, like, there's an interview she did with Connie Chung where Connie's like, so, Tanya, everybody's talking about you, and it's not because of your skating. You know that, right? And Tanya's like, no, I don't know that. It is because of my skating. It's because I'm so good. So Tanya goes on to skate at the Olympics, and she bombs it the first try. She doesn't land her jumps. She is a hot mess. And Nancy comes out and skates, and she is absolutely flawless. She nails every move. It's a clean win. But Tanya's like, I'm not giving up. I'm going for the gold. So then it's Tanya's turn again, and they announce her name, and nobody comes out. So they announce it again, and nothing. There's, like, 45 seconds left, and you can see cameras where there's just, like, people huddled around there where, like, nobody understands what's going on. And then the announcer's like, if she's not here in 45 seconds, I think they're going to disqualify her. So Tanya arrives on the ice just six seconds shy of disqualification. Apparently she had a problem with her lace, but, like, you can see on the cameras that she's just like, forget it, I'm not going to let it hold me, and she comes out. But, like, as she's coming onto the ice, you can see that she's still, like, she bends down to, like, retie it. Like, you can tell it's not comfortable. Oh, and then she kind of mumbles something like, oh, I, ho I hope I don't break my ankle or something like that. So she arrives just six seconds shy of disqualification, and she launched into her program only to cut the routine short because of her lace. So, like, she goes for a jump. I think she went for a triple, and it ended up being a single. Like, she couldn't make it. And then for a second, you see, like, she's going to keep trying, and then she just stops. And, like, her face changes, and she starts crying. So she skates over to the judges, and she puts her foot up on the ledge to show them her skate. And she's just like, my lace, my lace is broken. 
And by the way, I have to clarify this because it, it sounds like unprofessional the way she just like goes up to the judges. But apparently that's what you're supposed to do. If you like, it's a big safety thing to have your, your laces perfect. So like you're supposed to approach the ref and let them know what's going on. Or to clarify, I think what happened was uh, one of her laces broke. So she used a new lace, but it was like shorter than the other one. Like it was too short. So it was like uncomfortable. And she thought it was going to cause an accident. Anyway, the judges gave her a second chance. She went for her triple and landed a double instead. So therefore, she lost her chance for a medal. Then it's Nancy Kerrigan's turn again. She comes out in this beautiful Vera Wang dress and again is absolutely flawless. She nailed all of her jumps and she felt good. She did very well. So who do you think got the gold? Well, unfortunately, a 16-year-old figure skater named Oksana Bayul came out of nowhere and beat Nancy by a tenth of a point, taking home the gold. The irony of all this drama and neither Nancy or Tanya won the gold. After the Olympics, well, Tanya now had the authorities to answer to. Now everybody's like, okay, so let's get back to what you know. How were you involved in Nancy's attack? They found a piece of evidence that was hard for even Tanya to talk her way out of. This random owner of a restaurant went to put some some garbage in their dumpster and they noticed a trash bag that wasn't theirs. So she decided to open up the bag and go through it and she found some mail that had the names Jeff Galuli and Tanya Harding on them. So there were some doodles on the envelopes like somebody jotting down notes and they read Tony Kent Arena, which was the arena where Nancy Kerrigan practiced. So this lady was like, oh my god, this is about the attack and she turns it into the police. What they determined was that Tanya had likely called up an acquaintance to find out where Nancy practiced and that Tanya was the one who wrote it down on the envelope. Tanya still insists that she didn't write that. The police, however, were sure that this was Tanya's handwriting. The way they saw it was that it was Jeff's plan and he was the moving force in the whole thing, but this note was kind of proof that Tanya gave him the green light. The other three men, Sean Eckhart, Derek Smith, and Shane Stant, were all sentenced to 18 months in prison. So the four guys are going to prison for sure, and that makes it really hard for Tanya to avoid prison. So she takes a deal which results in her pleading guilty to hindering the prosecution, which basically means that she admitted to helping conspire to cover up a crime after it happened. So she got three years probation, a $100,000 fine, and 500 hours of community service. But the punishment that hurt the most was that she was forced to resign from the United States Figure Skating Association. They stripped her of her championship title and banned her from skating for life. I mean, she could still skate, but she couldn't skate with the United States Figure Skating Association, and she couldn't serve as a coach. And her reputation pretty much made her unhirable as a figure skater. So for Tanya, that was almost as bad as a prison sentence. Her entire life was devoted to figure skating since she was three years old, and she literally didn't know how to do anything else. So Tanya's gotta, like, find herself all over again and figure out who she is outside of ice skating. This was a rough time for Tanya. Um, there was actually a sex tape of Tanya and Jeff that got out and pictures ended up in the penthouse magazine. Tanya says that she did not give them permission to do that, but they were both able to negotiate some kind of um, payment for that sale. And they both, Jeff and Tanya, ended up using the same agent for that. Tanya went on to appear in a movie called Breakaway, and apparently she wasn't that bad in it. And then she became a celebrity boxer. They called her Tanya TNT Harding. She boxed against Paula Jones and won. You can't make this shit up. But she loved it. She said it was good money, it was fun, but, I mean, it was brutal. She was in her 30s when she started, and her boxing career ended up being cut short by her asthma. Her overall record was three wins and three losses. Then she was hired to host a show called World's Dumbest. On February 22, 2000, Tanya Harding attacked her then-boyfriend, Darren Silver, repeatedly punching him in the face and throwing a hubcap at his head. She left him with a bloody face, and she ended up being arrested. 
Initially, she pleaded not guilty, but then ended up admitting to the attack and was sentenced to three days in jail, 10 days of community service, and a suspended jail sentence of 167 days. Since leaving skating and boxing, Tanya has worked as a welder and a painter. She now works uh, painting and as a deck builder. She got remarried in 2010 when she was 39 years old and gave birth to a son named Gordon in 2011. And she says she's happy now. A couple fun facts. There is an opera about Tanya and Nancy, and also Tanya Harding had her own Wheaties box. Barack Obama once used Tanya Harding as a verb. All the pundits and all the smart folks, they were saying, okay, his only chance now, he's got a kneecap her. He's got to do a Tanya Harding on the front runner. Nancy Kerrigan went on to be beloved and completely influential. She continued skating, and then she went on to be on Dancing with the Stars in 2017 and just continued to inspire people. There was an interview where both Tanya and Nancy spoke to each other face-to-face four years after the attack, and Tanya apologized for, quote, being at the wrong place in the wrong time with the wrong people. In the 2008 book, The Tanya Tapes, Tanya claims that Jeff took her into the mountains and tried to threaten her into silence. It reads, Jeff and two other guys, don't know who they were because I couldn't see who they were, they were in a different car, decided to drive me up to the mountains, put a gun to my head, and take themselves upon me. They told me, this is what you're going to say, and this is what you're going to do, and if you don't, you're not going to be here anymore. Jeff claims that this is completely untrue. He said, her saying that I gang-raped her is ridiculous. I'm surprised that some publisher would even print this. Tanya writes that it was shortly after this incident that she decided to call the FBI and do her voluntary interview. Shane Stant, the hitman who actually hit Nancy with the baton, has said that he is regretful for his part in this. He said, the truth is, I just thought, well, I'll do this and kind of go on with my life and she'll go on with her life. He said that there was talk of doing much worse to Nancy, like cutting her Achilles tendon, which would have crippled her. And he said, I didn't think that was necessary. I wasn't willing to do that on top of that. Tanya Harding no longer speaks with her mother. She says that they never will. She says, I gave her the opportunity to be a mother and it did not happen. I have forgiven her for everything she has done to me as a child, but I'm okay. I'm all right. Lavana says, she wouldn't know what a beating was. I've never abused my children. She's lied so much she doesn't know what isn't a lie anymore. Jeff also says that Tanya's a huge liar and it's not even worth it to respond anymore. Jeff Galuli changed his name. He's now Jeff Stone. And he did say that he's saddened by the fact that Tanya Harding is now remembered for the thing that he talked her into doing rather than for the talent that she had on the ice. And he says that he is sincerely apologetic towards Nancy Kerrigan. All right, so that's pretty much it. Um, like I said, watch the movie I, Tanya, because they actually did interview uh, uh, Tanya Harding a lot for it. I mean, Jeff Galuli and Lavana Golden say that it's full of false information. And, I mean, it probably says a lot about them that they don't like, but who knows who really is reliable in this anyway. But I will say that the actress Margot Robbie, who played Tanya, um, she says that after speaking to Tanya, she fully believes and supports her. So, I don't know. Even watching interviews with Tanya, it's 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 confusing. And I kind of, like, this is just, just me playing psychologist for a second. I kind of wonder if maybe her growing up being told that, like, nothing she did was good enough and just getting in trouble for, like, normal, normal-ass mistakes all the time, if maybe that kind of led to her coming up with excuses for herself, like... I don't know, like she's constantly trying to justify things that are human and maybe she just kind of goes overboard. I don't know, I'm not trying to justify it, I'm just trying to understand it. All right, so that's it for today. Thank you guys again for all the love you've given our podcast. I'm just like shocked that we were named the top 80 true crime podcast on the web in 2022. We came in at number 57, which is like pretty good, right? I mean, this is the first time we land on a list and that's not so bad. (laughs) Anyway, I I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and what we have cooking up. 
feel free to reach out if you want to hear a case featured on Broken Limelight Podcast. Um, actually, we just did like a poll on Facebook. If, if you want to like participate in these polls, like go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook and on the website brokenlimelight.com. But anyway, I posted a list of some cases that you guys would like to hear, and I got a lot of votes for Sam Cooke. So yeah, Sam Cooke has a pretty interesting true crime case that we might have to cover pretty soon. But if you have more suggestions, again, feel free to reach out to us. You can email me at ddwest.brokenlimelight.com, or you can just go to the website brokenlimelight.com and go to the contact tab to send me a message. You can also just leave a comment there if you like want to say something fun or like you have a strong opinion or anything. And if you want to follow me on social media, just look me up under DD West. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, everything under DD West. Um, or there's also a Facebook page specifically for Broken Limelight. And I'm also now starting to get more content onto my TikTok and my YouTube channels. By the way, if you're not following me there yet, please do. Um, especially YouTube. It helps me out so much if you guys subscribe to my channel. Again, it's under DD West. I have all the podcast episodes on there as well. Okay, that's pretty much it. Thank you guys so, so much again for your support. Goodbye. know my dogs jude and eleanor rigby well we just started getting in bark box and i'm telling you your dogs will love you no more are they angry at the mailman no more i say it's like a box of dog joy that's delivered every month and each box tells a different story with different themed toys treats and photo worthy props typically what we get in each box is a couple of toys a couple of treats and a chew but you can actually tailor fit your box to fit your dog's needs guys i'm telling you your dogs will love you even more than they already do so try it out, and if you use my link, you'll get a free extra month of BarkBox, which is a $35 value. So just head to BarkBox.com slash Broken Limelight and get started on your first BarkBox today. BarkBox, 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 BarkBox. Nailed it, Jude.